Coming up next on Inside Golf Podcast, 3M Open Preview. What a letdown, unfortunately. But I still love weeks like this from a DraftKings standpoint, at least. I tend to have some more success usually on weeks like this. So I still have a fair amount to break down and talk about. But first, we are presented by RickRunGoods.com. All the stats, all the tools that I will be referencing in the podcast can be found over at rickrungoods.com. A lot of new changes coming to the site that I think you're really going to want to check out. I know there's been some anger and frustration with uh, some of the other data sites recently, and I'm not I'm not going to I'm not here to poo-poo them. I actually like all the other ones too, and I'm a paying subscriber of all of them. Um, and I'm friends with many of the people that are partners with some of the other sites. But what I will say about Rick's is that I know that he's working actively every single day to improve it. Um, so the recent thing that we just got into is Eurostats. Now, to me, that is very important, especially in major weeks. And what we saw just recently at the Scottish Open, um, and a lot of the time, I think, with some of the Euro guys that also play on the PGA Tour, we kind of just throw our hands up in the air and are like, oh, T58 at the BMW International Open. He's 66 in driving accuracy this year, but I can't put him into my model because we don't have stats. Um, that sounds okay. Who knows? And we wanted to create a situation where we felt like we could account for these guys a little bit better. Um, so that is honestly just one new addition that we have. There's a lot more coming too, especially with the model. Um, you're going to be able to put anything into that model. Uh, a lot of filters that are getting added, obviously some stuff like green, green types and different stats. Um, the one that Rick has that I've found useful this week is approach putting, which was a big thing at the open this week, for example, is lag putting, right? So this is an example of what I'm talking about. I hate to break it to you, but three-putt avoidance does not measure lag putting at all. That is an incredibly problematic stat for a number of reasons. But what approach putting does is it actually measures how many inches or feet you leave yourself on putts over 25 feet. So it's just a bunch of stuff like that. Um, like I said, I think there are a lot of good places out there, like I said, and I use all of them for different things, but I am really proud of what Rick is trying to do here and what's to come. So I hope if you're a listener of this podcast and you are already a member, um, that's great. But if not, promo code Andy, sign up today. Outside of all the stat stuff, um, you get all of my written content and it is the best place to reach me for questions. I do my best with the DMs, uh, but you have a much better chance of reaching me in the Slack channel. All right. I'm recording this early on Sunday morning before the leaders have teed off at the Open Championship. I have a lot of thoughts on the Open. I'm not really going to talk about them this morning. I'm going to talk about them when the tournament ends on my podcast tomorrow. Um, all of the people that I talk golf with on a regular basis know that I am extremely superstitious about this stuff. I get really mad when people tweet at me um, if one of my picks is doing well on Thursday. 
I don't like sending screenshots of my DFS lineups. Uh, I get mad when people say it's over um, or, you know, they crown someone before the tournament ends. Uh, I think it's all bad karma. So I did not get to watch any of Saturday. I had a golf game actually at St. Andrews, St. Andrews in Westchester. Uh, one of the founding members of the USGA, spectacular course. I had a few issues with it, but a lot of great history there and a really fun match with a couple of friends. So I did get it. I did not get a chance uh, to see anything that happened yesterday. I didn't get to watch any of the um, I watched early in the morning, but I did not get to watch uh, the leaders. And, you know, I had my my confidants giving me the play by play on a few things Um but I did not want to turn on Golf Channel last night or listen to any of the recaps because I know what they were going to do, which is pump all of this air into Rory's tires. And I didn't want to hear that. I'll be completely honest. I have not wanted a player to win a tournament more than Rory winning this one, even outside of the money. And it would be uh, a big win, obviously. And you know, for my friend Kobe too, which is a, you know, a much different definition of a big win. So I'm not just rooting for myself. I, I really fucking want this for him too, because he's got a lot more at stake than I do, but completely outside of the money. I've just been saying that this was going to happen and been so invested in Rory winning this golf tournament since December. Um, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Rory fan, but it's got, for me, it's got nothing to do with the, oh, good versus evil, PGA Tour versus live. Like, I don't really care about any of that. I've just had it in my head for so many months, and I've been saying that he's going to win this tournament for so long that it actually turned into a bit with some of my friends. Um, And like now that we are on the precipice, I'm going to turn off my phone. I don't want to go on Twitter. I don't think it's going to be easy. Hovland's fucking good, man. It's not like he's going up against Cam Tringale in the final rounds. And I don't even think the guys at 12 under are dead either. I saw that Justin Ray stat with the 33 out of 35 last major winners have entered the final round three back or less. But man, JT was like seven back heading into the back nine at the PGA Championship. And you can shoot. 64 on the old course and you can also shoot 75 right i i don't think any of this is any of it's going to be easy and put it this way i'd be very unsurprised (laughs) uh if he doesn't win i've been through a lot of pain so you got to be humble in these situations and and just kind of wait it out uh the one thing i did say which i guess got a lot of pushback because every single person and their mother bet Cam Smith this week, was that I did think Rory was going to kick Cam's ass this weekend and that Cam was going to do something stupid, uh, which I don't even really think is that hot of a take. I mean, there was a reason why Rory was 10 to 1 and Cam was 28 to 1. Rory's one of the 20 best players of all time and Cam's having a really good season, but I don't know what his career trajectory looks like and he gained 10 strokes putting over the first two days. So, you know... Again, I don't think it was a hot take. That feels a little predictable. Um, 
that you know maybe maybe there's just a little bit of regression with the putter and i think his decision making as i've talked about before is something to monitor uh and something to not be super surprised about he makes these really dumb decisions down the stretch and he got away with it at the players even though what he did on 18 was inexplicable uh he didn't get away with it at the masters and again, I didn't watch what happened yesterday, but I was told he did something dumb. So I just think that Rory, <sighs> there were a lot of bad takes about Rory. People were even saying his caddy was not smart enough to win at St. Andrews. I mean, truly, that's a that one's a Hall of Famer. But I think the thing that people miss quite often with Rory, and this is actually an example of Rory actually suffering from being so good. But it's wild to me that Rory never gets talked about in terms of creativity and craftiness the way that a Spieth and Cam Smith do. And I was talking to one of my friends about this last night because, you know, Rory is the type of guy where if you watched him on the range, with a bunch of other PGA Tour pros, he's the guy you would stop and watch hit balls. Like, he is the ultimate, wow, the sound the ball makes off the club face, the speed, the ball flight. Like, it's generational stuff. But because he is a generational ball striker and the ultimate quote-unquote track man golfer, like where if you just watched him on the range, it's unbelievable. Uh, whereas Spieth and Cam, they don't have, they're not wow factor ball strikers. They're great ball strikers. Both are great iron players. Um, but they're not somebody you're stopping to watch hit balls on the range. And they get the creative label because despite not having this wow factor ball striking, they're just really good at finding a way to get the ball in the hole. Um, and the imagination at, and creativity that Rory has doesn't really get get talked about um, because he has this other aspect of him that is so unbelievable and overshadows the thing that Rory and Cam has too. But you know he is legitimately Rory. I'm talking about statistically one of the best bunker players. You know over like the last five years. I mean he is one of the best set of hands. I've ever seen. I've always pushed back on the wedge thing for years. I'm on the record with that. I mean, he's got all the shots inside 125 yards, which you've seen this week. He's little sawed off wedges. He can cut a wedge like 15 yards in the air. I've seen him draw a wedge 15 yards in the air. He puts the ball clean so well when he's got like some of those testy little chips. And he's talked about it before, how he thinks that his short game uh, and creativity is is doesn't get enough credit and is an underrated part of his game. And his golf IQ is just really high. And I think him and Spieth have a really, really high golf IQ that doesn't always mean that they make a perfect decision every time, but they're really, really good at visualizing stot- shots and understanding what shot to hit at what time, which is why they're in the mix at the British Open and the Masters nearly every year. 
So it's kind of like the white receiver thing in the NFL and being crafty. Like Spieth and Cam get called crafty and imaginative because they aren't as talented as Rory and Rory doesn't get called crafty and imaginative because his ball striking is so visually stimulating and overwhelming. But I didn't like Rory at St. Andrews because of his generational driving of the ball or his ball striking Um, or the fact that he's like a great long iron player. I mean, he's barely had to hit any long irons this week unless he's hitting them off the tee. I had him penciled in at St. Andrews because I knew that this was in a course with an incredible amount of nuance where you have to hit a bunch of different weird shots and have a ton of control and creativity inside 150 yards. And I just think that Rory's been always really, really underrated in that category, in my opinion. And I wish he got I wish he got talked about more in terms of that creativity, visualization, imagination category. Um, I think his his wow factor ball striking is a is a bit of a detriment to him in that in that respect. So I wish him the best today. Um We'll see what happens. And uh, let's talk about the 3M Open. What a jarring juxtaposition we have here. So the 3M Open, this was a Champions Tour event for 26 years, 1993 to 2018, before it got promoted to the big leagues. So last year we had Cameron Champ win at 15 under par. Prior to that year before 2020, we had Michael Thompson win at 19 under par. 2019, Matthew Wolf won at 21 under par over Bryson and Colin Morikawa at 20 under par. All three winners, by the way, of the 3M Open were over 125 to 1. So this is a golf course where there's a lot of variance because of all the water and might be a good week to take a bunch of chances farther down the board. So TPC Twin Cities, it's in Blaine, Minnesota. It's a par 71 measuring 7,431 yards designed by Arnold Palmer with the Tim Heron and Tom Lehman renovation in 2018 prior to when the PGA Tour started coming here. Water comes into play on 15 holes. The fairways are bent grass, 38 yards wide on average. It's pretty wide fairways. Rough is bluegrass with fescue, three inches. And the greens are 65,000 square feet, pretty big again. Bent grass running 12 on the step. And TPC Twin Cities is pretty much your standard run-of-the-mill vanilla PGA Tour course. It's wide open off the tee. It very much rewards aggressive play. It's got a lot of risk-reward holes, a lot of water really bland architecture where water is really the defining feature of the course. Pretty large greens with very little undulation and a decently challenging set of longer par fives and par threes, but a pretty easy set of par fours. Three par threes are over 200 yards. All of the par fives are basically the same length. They all measure between 593 and 596. Uh, And players, despite that length can still generally get there in two. Uh, there's some altitude on this course as well. Um, so that helps with the driving distance stuff. And then 
Six par fours are under 450. Five par fours are over 450. You've got two really long ones over 500 yards. So it's not a short course, uh, but it's a pretty heavy it's a pretty driver heavy course, despite all of the water. It's almost like a Florida course in the sense that water is really such a defining characteristic. Last year it ranked fifth out of 40 courses in penalty strokes per round, and it has ranked inside the top six in each of the last three years in penalty strokes per round. So it's really just about staying out of the water on this course. Uh, and because of all that water, I wouldn't call it a pure birdie fest. You're going to see some big numbers. It, you know, it's got progressively harder as the years have gone on, which I don't know if that's setup related or more. So there was a lot more wind last year. And I remember in 2019, the wolf year, it got a lot more rain in the weeks leading up to the tournament. So in the wolf year, it was the fifth easiest course on tour. In uh, 2020, when Michael Thompson won the COVID year, it was the fourth easiest course on tour. Uh, but last year, it kind of ranked middle of the pack, right? Like 24th out of 40 courses. And, you know, Cameron Champ was able to win the tournament at 15 under. 15 under isn't going to win it for you at St. Andrews this week. So um, there's some variance on this course, right? There's, there's enough water that I think it's a very bland course, but there generally should be like some, there has been at least the past three years, some excitement down the stretch because there's always, there are a lot of holes to fuck up on. Right. Um, and they're at the same time, there are a ton of birdie holes as well, which is kind of, I guess what you're looking for in a TPC course. Right. I, I think this course is kind of like, uh, like I just think TPC Scottsdale is just good. I think it's a good golf course architecturally. And I also think it's, a great golf course for PGA tour tournament golf. And, you know, this has some of the same elements to it where the way that it's designed, I would not call it particularly provocative or engaging in terms of the actual strategy, but there's enough water where it's generally most likely going to provide some excitement down the stretch. So let's talk about some of the, uh, some of the stats that I was looking at this week. I think it's a big off the tee course. I really do. Now, it has quite wide fairways. So what do I mean with that when I say it's it's important off the tee if it's pretty easy to hit the fairways here? Well, there's a lot of trouble, like I mentioned. So even though the fairways are wide, the penalty for missing them is pretty great. So TPC Twin Cities did rank 11th out of 40 courses last year in miss fairway penalty, which again speaks to the fact that while these fairways are quite wide, water comes into play on a lot of the tee shots. So the penalty for wayward driving is great. The rough here isn't that big of an issue. Um, it's ranked easier than tour average and average score dispersion between the fairway and the rough, but it's still ranked eighth out of 40 courses, however, in non-rough penalty, which again just speaks to the fact that there are many holes where a big miss off the tee will result in a water ball. Um, but if you're just driving the ball just off the fairway, the rough is not a huge concern. Back to the amount of water. TPC Twin Cities ranked fifth out of 40 courses in fraction of missed fairways that result in a penalty stroke. 
So for me, this is a great week to look at good drive percentage because you don't need to be a super accurate driver of the ball to have any semblance of success at TPC Twin Cities. But there is this great penalty for complete foul balls. So good drive percentage can help me identify the players that are not necessarily the most accurate drivers in the world, but keep the ball in play off the tee and put themselves in position to allow them to hit the green in regulation. Last year, every single one of the top 10 on the leaderboard gained in good drives gained. And as far as distance goes, it's hard to look at a course like this and suggest that distance doesn't help when you've got guys like Matthew Wolf and Cameron Champ and Keith Mitchell and Jonathan Vegas finding so much success here. Last year, each of the top six on the leaderboard gained in driving distance, but they also gained a good drives gain. So I think that you can't just bomb away aimlessly here and you look at a little bit farther down the leaderboard and it's Ryan Armour and Brian Stewart and Brant Snedeker, Ches Reavy, Luke Donald, Bryce Garnett, all in the top 16. So distance is really uh, far from a prerequisite, but it certainly helps. Overall, I do think this is a course where off the tee matters a whole lot, right? I want you to, be, I think if you're a powerful and accurate driver, if your driver is a bit of a weapon here, I think that's going to help you out a lot here. And I have some concern about guys that are pretty loose here. I just, I think there's enough trouble where I think it's something to monitor. So 37.9% of strokes gain have come on approach, um, which is healthily above the tour average of 34.8. That number jumps all the way up to 41.9 historically. So iron play has proven to be even more important here than on average at other tour courses. It ranked 26 out of 40 courses last year in strokes gain approach difficulty. Uh, and it has definitely ranked on the easier side in terms of approach difficulty, although it did get harder last year. But I think this is enough of a test from T to green um, that iron play is going to be even is it's like I talked about with St. Andrews last week. I, I didn't think that you were going to have to hit a lot of stock middle to long iron players at St. Andrews. TPC Twin Cities is is pretty different than that, in my opinion. Despite having a pretty large greens and regulation percentage, you still got 20.7% of approach shots coming from over 107 or coming from 175 to 200, 24% coming from over 200 yards. And, you know, both of those are pretty healthily above tour average. So when you've got four par threes over 175, five par fours over 450, and three par fives, you know, you're looking at a course where players could potentially have, I don't know, 50 to 60% of their approach shots coming from over 175 yards. Again, not that the degree of difficulty on these shots is all that great with these very large, non-undulating greens, but it's not a short golf course. Uh, and I get, again, the defining defense of this course is that it's not short and there's a lot of water. So you're not going to have a ton of wedges coming in here. And you look at the players that have been really good here. Wolf, Morikawa, Bryson, Cameron Champ, Jonathan Vegas, Keith Mitchell, Finau. I mean, those guys are all really strong long iron players, right? In terms of around the green, 
it's pretty tough to make a case for that this week. Um, Cameron Champ won here, losing strokes around the green. Keith Mitchell finished fifth, losing strokes around the green. In fact, no one in the top 10 last year finished top 15 in around the green. In 2020, Michael Thompson won, losing a stroke around the green. And 10 of the top 18 on the leaderboard lost strokes around the green. In 2019, six of the top 15 lost strokes around the green. So anytime you've got a course with a high greens and regulation percentage and really flat greens to begin with and not super um, challenging greenside surrounds, not super, there's not a lot of ground contours. There's not a lot of undulation around the greens or on the greens. It's going to be tough to see a scenario where short game is is something that you really want to be looking at too much here. The one thing that I will say is that for whatever reason, you know, going through the hole by holes, it doesn't even really look like the bunkers are super deep or anything. I think they're just kind of positioned in difficult spots and there are a lot of them, but it did rank six out of 40 courses last year in terms of up and down percentage from the bunkers and inside the top 15 each of the previous two years. So there are a fair amount of bunkers on this course, and there was a small correlation that I was able to find in terms of success uh, with sand save percentage and guys who finished close to the top of the leaderboard. So if there's any around the green metric that you want to look at, probably be sand save percentage and even so it's not something that I would go too crazy on uh, in terms of putting I would make the case that this is maybe the easiest course to putt on on the PGA Tour so it ranked 37th out of 40 courses in terms of strokes gained putting difficulty 28th out of 29 courses in 2020 35th out of 35 courses in 2019 so this is probably the easiest course to putt on on the entire PGA Tour. These greens are very pure, and they're not remotely undulating whatsoever. It ranked 35th out of 40 courses in putting difficulty inside 5 feet, 31st out of 40 courses in putting difficulty from 5 to 15 feet, and 40th out of 40 courses in putting from greater than 20, 15 feet. So... Again, this is probably the easiest course to hold putts on on the PGA Tour when you combine all that together. We've definitely seen some really poor putters have some success here, and it makes a ton of success because the greens are not remotely difficult to read. I mean, you still need to putt here, and I'm definitely looking a bit at bent grass putting because there's a high greens and regulation percentage, and this course definitely does do a decent job of separating from TD green, but this is still the type of course where, you know, if, if you get hop with your putter, you can mask some TD green difficulties and you're not going to see a lot of guys struggle on these greens too much. You're probably going to see a few guys at least gain a ton of confidence putting on these. Um, in terms of scoring stats, uh, what's interesting about this course is that because of all the water, there really is a lot of uh, scoring variance, we'll say. So 17 of 18 holes feature over a 10% birdie rate. 50% of the holes feature over a 20% birdie rate. 
But 12 of the 18 holes also feature over a 10% bogey rate. So there are inevitably going to be times when you're going to hit you're going to hit it in the water here. You're going to make a few bogeys. You're going to need to score and take advantage of the birdie holes to make up for that. You're not going to see a lot of bogey-free rounds here, but you are going to see a lot of streaks and players that have rounds with seven birdies and four bogeys or eight birdies and three bogeys. Like That will be very common on this golf course. So I still really want to identify players that make a ton of birdies. Top 10 finishers also gained far more strokes on the par fives relative to the field than they did on the par threes and the par fours. So I think you really got to take advantage of these par fives. There's only three of them. So, you know, I'm not going uh, maybe as big on par five scoring as I would be on a course with four par fives, but I still think identifying players who tend to score on the par fives will be very valuable. Uh, and then in terms of, you know, comp courses in course history, uh, you know, we've only have three years of data at TPC Twin Cities, uh, and it's proven so far to have some of the most least predictive course history, relatively speaking. Um, and that's because I think there's a lot of water on this course. There's a lot of variance on this course. And, you know, the fact that there's a lot of water, um, I think often gets confused with there's a lot of strategy, but this is a really straight forward course. I mean, very little nuance in terms of the greens. Uh, there are a couple guys that have been good here all three years, but Cameron Champ and Michael Thompson, the year before winning, you know, both missed the cut. Uh, so I don't, you know, if a guy's playing here on his first appearance or if a guy hasn't had a ton of success here, I, uh, I don't think that should be viewed as a giant detriment or a reason to get off a player. And uh, I can't say a, a whole lot about Arnold Palmer as a designer. He doesn't really have too many defining features as an architect. Um, I think of all the fantastic things about Arnold Palmer, I, I don't think architecture, course architecture, was uh, what he will be remembered for, at least in my opinion. Um, but a couple of other PGA Tour courses that he's designed... Bay Hill, obviously. And then I think one that you can look at even more so than Bay Hill, because Bay Hill's a lot harder than this course, and that Bay Hill's got some really thick rough, uh, would be TPC Boston, which I actually think does have a fair amount in common with TPC Twin Cities. You know, the other courses that TPC Twin Cities reminds me a bit of are a lot of the Florida courses. Uh, where water is such a defining characteristic. I think the big difference, obviously, is the Bermuda versus the Bankgrass. But even a course like TPC Sawgrass or PGA National or the Concession, where both are scorable, but there are a lot of big numbers working at every turn, and you have to play aggressively, but you also ha have to know how to work your way around the golf course and stay out of trouble. You know, that makes a lot of sense to me just conceptually. Uh, here's what Michael Thompson, 2020 champion, had to say about PGA National. It is very, very much like PGA National, this course. You know what shots you have to hit. There's no if and or buts about it. You've just got to step up and hit the shot, execute. And I think that's right. I think people mistake water for strategy. A course with a lot of water actually really removes a lot of the strategy from 
the equation. A course with a lot of water is fundamentally about execution, really, which is what you see at all these Florida golf courses. Um, and that's why I like that comparison, especially PGA National, because PGA National is a golf course primarily where it's basically, okay, you specifically have to hit the ball here. And if you can hit the ball here, you are going to play well. But if you don't have a lot of confidence with where your golf ball is going, you're going to have a lot of penalty strikes. I mean, to me, this is kind of the definition of target golf. It's the complete opposite of St. Andrews, in my opinion, with where St. Andrews is is basically like, okay, there are a lot of different ways that you can solve this math equation and get to the right answer, right? There's seven different ways on each hole where you can get to birdie, where it's like these courses, TPC Twin Cities, it's like, okay, here's the, here's the roadmap. This is it. Hit the ball here and then hit the ball there. It's point A to point B. And if you hit the ball here and if you hit the ball there and you stay out of the water, you're going to be fine. And if you hit the ball in the wrong places, you're screwed, right? There's not a whole lot of strategy and differing roadmaps to get to the same right answer at a course like this. Um, and looking at some of the, you know, looking at some of the data golf stuff and, and kind of digging into some of the more course comps, it's interesting because accuracy off the tee really does kind of jump out more than you'd think. And I think that's really because it's so easy to get sidetracked here so quickly if you're hitting the ball in the water. And I think that's probably why a course like TPC Sawgrass, even though TPC Sawgrass is the fairways are a lot more narrow there and you think of TPC Sawgrass as even more so of, uh, of a positional golf course. Um, I still think it's kind of the same ethos uh, at, you know, TPC Twin Cities and, and a lot of these water-heavy Florida courses. Uh, and the other courses that I do think maybe are would be worth looking at, uh, and these ones don't feature as much water, but some of the... Uh, the other bank grass birdie fests that we see over the summer, like TPC deer run. You've got your Bryson's Morikawa's champs. All those guys were good at deer run and Detroit golf club, Bryson, Matthew Wolf, Cam Davis, Hadwin. Again, all those guys were good at Detroit and three M. So I think this golf course is inherently more difficult than both deer run and Detroit because there's just more water and more trouble than at both Detroit and deer run. Uh, and those courses are more kind of pure putting contests and provide less resistance from T to green, but it's still a lot of the same guys that are finding success at both places. All right. So I put all this stuff together in a model, all the comp courses that I was looking at, the birdies are better, the bent grass putting, uh, some of the proximity buckets and the good drive percentage and all the off the tee stuff too. So I th- a lot in this model and it's pretty ugly. I should mention, I didn't mention it at the top, you know, Tony Finau is probably the headliner in this field. Hideki Matsuyama, I guess. Actually, we'll give it to Hideki. Hideki is a much bigger master's champion, Hideki Matsuyama. Uh, and then Tony Finau and then, and then probably Sung J.M., and then it's this big drop-off where then it goes into Charles Howell and Cameron Davis and Adam Hadwin and Davis Riley and, 
Yeah, Sahith, I guess, and Cameron Tringale and Maverick McNeely and all those guys. But here's who it shot out for me for the top 20 in the model. Number one is Tony Finau. Number two, Charles Howell III. Yikes. Number three, Cameron Davis. That makes a lot of sense to me. Four, Hideki Matsuyama. Five, Sung J.M. Six, Adam Hadwin. Seven, Davis Riley, who I imagine will be quite popular this week. Eight, Mark Hubbard, my guy. Nine, Cameron Tringale, who I remember was uh, very popular here last year and uh, did what Cameron Tringale always does, which he found a way to give the tournament away down the stretch. But he's definitely going to want to, he's definitely going to check a lot of boxes statistically for a lot of people this week and probably be like 9.5K in DraftKings. 10 is Adam Svensson, who's just my guy. I'm going to keep riding him. 11, Tom Hoagie. 12, C.T. Pan. 13, J.T. Poston. 14, Maverick McNeely. 15, Stuart Sink. 17, Brendan Steele. Um, Chris Goddard, 18. Everyone's new favorite flavor of the week. Uh, Lanto Griffin, Tyler Duncan, who I love. Matthew Neesmith. That's the top 20. So... You know, I don't have um I don't have a strong take this week of who's going to win the way I did with Rory last week where I'm just kind of all in on this guy. But if there was guy that I, was one guy that I would go all in on, it'd be Svensson and I do think that he's probably going to be pretty popular. I don't think I'm going to be alone on that one unfortunately. Um, but I've been betting this guy a ton and I see no reason to stop now. He just, he, he actually has played this course before he played in 2019, 12.1 strokes gain from T to green and lost 5.1 strokes putting finished 15th. Um, and I think it's a great fit for him. You know, he's not particularly long off the tee, but he's a very, very accurate driver of the golf ball. 30th in good drives gained. Um, and he gains off the tee, an even better iron player, and he's a pretty decent long iron player as well. Um, makes a ton of birdies, takes advantage of par fives, uh, and in terms of recent form, he's coming off a sixth at the Barbasol. That's a bent grass birdie fest, where he gained 2.4 off the tee, 7.4 on approach, minus 1.5 around the green, don't care about that, and 2.4 foot putting. So the ball striking got better for him in both categories. And it is very, very likely that I'm going to go right back to Svensson this year. He's been really consistent this year. In 19 starts this year, he's made 15 cuts. That's a damn good season for a rookie. Um, and he's made seven cuts in a row too. So he's really figured out the putting. He had a couple really poor putting performances to start the year and now he's gained strokes putting in seven straight starts. He hasn't really popped with the putter, but he's gaining marginally from week in and week out. And he does have the ability to spike on approach. Ninth at the Honda Classic, which I love, where he was awesome from tee to green at PGA National. Talk about a course where you got to stay out of the trouble off the tee and avoid the water. He was ninth there. 24th at the John Deere just recently. Bankgrass Birdie Fest, six at the Barbasol, like I said. And a lot of his Corn Fairy Tour success has been on Bankgrass too. 
Um, so he checks the recent form box. He checks the course fit box, course history box, and comp course box. So I don't really see any scenario where he's not on my betting card here. Probably going to catch some steam, unfortunately, I would imagine. I thought it was a pretty good case for him, too. So he'll probably catch some steam. Um, so we'll have to see about DraftKings. But uh, I'm definitely going to bet the guy outright. Um, and then, you know, some of the other, like, I want to see what Charles, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I want to see what Charles Howell's number is. Um, he will be in the 9,000s in DraftKings. However, I don't know if people are going to go to Charles Howell as much as they're going to go to a Davis Riley or a Sahith Dagala or an Adam Hadwin, right? Uh, in which would be kind of my other guesses for who will be in the low nines below Sungjae Finau and Hideki. Um, but my numbers suggest that Howell, you know, is a top five play in this field. And he is, I talk about off the tee a lot on this course, and he's still plenty long off the tee, 11th in good drive percentage as well, 12th in, um, 12th and overall off the tee. So he's got above average distance and accuracy. Uh, and I do think he's the type of player that could use his driver as a weapon here, relatively speaking in this field. Good iron player too. I think the one knock on him is that he's not a very good long iron player at all, but he's a lead out of the bunkers, third in sand saves, seventh in bent grass putting over a large sample size, makes a ton of birdies, takes advantage of the par fives, and in three starts here, he's gone 23rd, 3rd, 39th. And he's coming off a of 14th at the John Deere where he gained 0.3 off the tee, 4.4 on approach, 2.2 around the green, and 0.7 putting. Um, so Howell is actually doing the type of thing that I want to see someone do generally before winning a tournament where in three of his last seven starts, He's gained over 4.9 strokes off the tee. Uh, in three of his last eight starts, he's gained over four strokes on approach. So he's popping in both of those categories. It's really just about timing it right uh, because he's actually hitting the ball well enough right now to win golf tournaments, especially in this field. And it's been a pretty sneaky good season for him. He's got eight top 40 finishes in 12 starts, fourth at the Valero, 13th at the John Deere. Um, and his putting this year has markedly improved since we started coming to these bank grass courses. He's gained putting in his last three bank grass courses. So he's pretty much checking all the boxes that I'm looking for. Can he win? You know, do I want to bet him at 35 to one? Probably not, but I think you have to plug your nose and, you know, swallow some bad numbers in this field to begin with. I mean, I think Tony Finau is going to be like 12 to one in this field. Right. Um, and <laughs> Howell, uh, is a guy that has been really, really consistent over a long PGA tour career, um, without a lot of wins. He's got one win in the last decade, which came in a fall event in 2018. Not that this field is any better than the fall event that he won in 2018. Um, but, I like him a lot here, man. And he's, you know, he's had some good finishes at the Honda ninth at the players this year. Um, he's like I said, he's popping in all the ball striking categories that I'm looking for. 
And if I can get, you know, a 35-40, I might have to do it. Definitely for DraftKings. Um, and I, I think Davis Riley is has a lot of that stuff too, right? Where he has... Um, he has gained over four off the tee in three of his last 10 starts. Um, in four of his last five starts, he's gained over five strokes on approach. He's had weeks where he's popped in short game. He's had weeks where he's gained over seven strokes putting and nine strokes putting. Um, so he's doing the same thing that I was talking about with Howell, where he's kind of shown this elite ability to spike in all four major categories. He just hasn't put it all together in one week. So he would be another guy that I would be, uh, that I will be monitoring again. I think in these fields, not a lot of great options. So I think people are going to flock to a lot of the same names. And I think all those same names make sense. So a lot of those guys like Davis Riley and Charles Howell and Adam Svensson, and I'm, I'm sure there's more of them. You know, Adam Hadwin, I would imagine Cameron Shangali, Mark Hubbard. To me, Cameron Davis, I imagine he's play, he's having a great Barracuda. Um, I think those are guys that I may end up like constructing my betting card around. But in a course with di- in, a, in a tournament with this much variance, I'm going to play a lot of the ownership game here in DraftKings, right? Um, and I think a lot of people on a weak field you know, open championship malaise a little bit. There's a little bit of a hangover coming off the final major championship of the year and, you know, a great major championship in that, right, that I think a lot of people were very invested in. Um, I think it's a good week to play the ownership game. I really do. Because some of these guys, like Chris Goderup, people are just going to flock to them. Davis Riley, Sahith Tagala, Adam Hadwin, Svensson, Davis, like people are just going to all flock around the same names. And this is a golf course where you can rack up three, four, five penalty strokes in the same round, right? So I guess if somebody is checking all the model boxes for you, um, maybe bet the guy outright. But I would consider, and I'm not just saying this to, you know, be contrarian, but I would say that I tend to like to play the ownership game more so on courses with a lot of water. Because I think there's a, there's, it's life's way too short to play a guy at 20% on a course where water comes into play on 15 holes, in my opinion. Um, but I think that's about it. That'll do it. It's, uh, it's just about time for the leaders to tee off at the open championship. So I'm going to sign off. Uh, I wish you the best of luck. If you've got any sweats with the, uh, open championship on Sunday, by the time you're listening to this, it'll probably be after it's over um but yeah i'm excited to talk more open tomorrow with boston capper that'll be a fun one we'll probably do a lot of yelling he's already warned me that he's got some takes that i'm not going to agree with so i'm sure we'll talk a lot about course setup and whatever happens with rory today and a lot of other things and we'll dive into some 3m open picks so once again you can find all of my written work a much deeper dive. I don't know if you, you can go much deeper on TPC Twin Cities, um, but a lot more statistical analysis of TPC Twin Cities in my and full model inputs as well. Um, in uh, in my Rick Run Good article, DFS article on Wednesday, 
Uh, that is promo code Andy for all of the access to that. Again, great time to sign up just in time to get all those Euro stats. And we'll see you next time. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.